several years ago, my wife and I uh, were helped to lead a group of teenagers on a mission trip to Panama. And uh, it was in coordination with an organization that was helping with some medical needs there in a remote village in Panama. And the only way to get to where we were going was, well, there are two ways that I was told. One was by a little boat on a river, and the other way was by a helicopter. So we got to take the helicopter. And we flew in uh, two different helicopters. There are several doctors and um, nurses and, um, uh, and teenagers that were with us. And we flew in a helicopter. The helicopters landed. We had trained to get out of helicopter without getting our heads chopped off or anything and run away and make sure we were safe. But you know what happened after we got off the helicopter? I'll never forget this. Those helicopters took off and flew away. There was just something, some feeling about being in the middle of this jungle. The only way back was a who knows how long river ride in a boat I didn't have. And to see the only way of escape flying away. And I remember thinking, I hope there's a plan for that helicopter to come back. Now, of course, I knew there was a plan. I, would, I wouldn't have gone into that, taken teenagers into that uh, jungle unless I knew there was a plan. But, but you know what I was very interested in at that point? I said, I want to know that there's a plan. <laughs> I want to know that there's a plan of getting me out of here, back to where I need to be. You know, when we're ever, ever faced, facing that circumstance that is difficult, we want to know what the plan is. We want to know how we can get from where we are now to where we should be. The same is true in our own lives as human beings. We recognize as we look at us, look inside us and look at the world around us, that we are not what we're supposed to be and the world is not what it's supposed to be. What's the plan then? What's the plan to make you who you are supposed to be? What's the plan to make you mature? That's, that's, that's what we're talking about, maturity. What is the plan to make you everything God's intended you to be? People have a lot of different ideas about what that plan is because they have a lot of different ideas about what maturity looks like. What does it look like for a human being to be functioning as a human being to the fullest of, of their capacities? What does that even look like? And people have different ideas about what that is. Now, the Bible has a very clear answer for what that is, and that is Christ-likeness. To be fully human is to be like Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ lived perfectly as a human being. Because only Jesus Christ perfectly submitted to God. Only Jesus Christ perfectly glorified God. And that's the purpose of being a human being, to bring glory to God. And yet so many people have different ideas about what maturity looks like. Here in our passage, Paul is talking about God's plan to make you mature. What's the plan? What is God's plan to make you mature? Paul talks about his role in this when verse 24 when he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You know, the Colossians knew that Paul underwent a great deal of suffering. And for them, this perhaps raised the question, does this cast doubt upon Paul's mission? I mean, this guy got beaten. This guy suffered shipwreck. This guy was thrown into prison. Is this plan of which he is a messenger, is it really a good plan? What is this plan? What is God's plan to make us mature? And here in this passage, Paul begins to unveil what this plan is. And we see it from the best possible perspectives because it's from the perspective of the very man that God had personally commissioned to bring this plan to those who didn't hear, hadn't heard about it. The Apostle Paul. 
So we're going to divide this passage into four parts. I think this will help us understand it. The first is what this plan costs. We see this in verse, verses 24 to 25. Second, we're going to see when this plan was revealed. We see this in verse 26. Third, what this plan is in verse 27 and how this plan works in verses 28 and 29. All right. So, I don't expect you to remember all those, but hopefully it will be helpful for you to have a, a mental map of where we're going. We'll start, first of all, with what this plan costs. What did this plan cost? This plan that supposedly brings us to maturity, this plan of which Paul says, I have been made a minister of this plan. Are you suspicious of things that are advertised as being free? Whenever I see the letters free, I'm always looking for a smaller text that says with purchase of a 2020 Mustang or something like that. Like, with some massive purchase, okay, free. I'm, I'm always a little suspicious of things that are advertised as free. I'm a little suspicious of these programs that say something like this, lose 50 pounds, no effort, no cost, eat all you want. And, I mean, what, what kind of plan is that if it doesn't cost anything? I think we're innately suspicious of things that are advertised as free because if something is really valuable, it had to have cost someone something, right? No, nothing is ever truly free. Most things of real value take hard work and sacrifice. And this is especially the case when something as complex and beautiful as, as human beings' relationship with God has been shattered and ruined. Okay, this is going to be costly. Whatever this plan is, is going to cost something. We realize that we cannot live with God. As human beings, our relationship with God has been severed like, like an oxygen tube to a patient who needs oxygen. We can't live, we can't flourish, we can't thrive without God. And so whatever this plan is to make us what we should be is going to be very costly. And indeed, this is what it costs. It costs the life and death of Jesus Christ to bring this plan about. That's how costly this plan was. But if you'll notice what Paul is talking about, but the cost of this plan, verse 24, he talks about his own suffering in that plan. Paul says this, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, this sounds a little puzzling to us at first. It almost sounds like Paul is saying that there was something deficient or lacking in what Christ did to save us. Right? Understand, that's not what Paul is saying at all. When Paul says, what he's not saying is that there's anything lacking in what Jesus did, because no one but Jesus could pay the penalty for our sin. But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, yes, Jesus suffered to die for our sins. That's the cost of our salvation. But... There is still more suffering to be had to get the message about Jesus' work to other people. There's still things that someone has to suffer just in order to get that message to other people. This is what, this is what happened when Paul was called to follow Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus met him, and Jesus wanted another one of his followers, Ananias, to go and talk with Paul. And Jesus said to Ananias, I'm going to show Paul how much he's going to have to suffer for my sake, not to bring about salvation for people, because no human being could purchase another person's salvation. Only Jesus' suffering can do that. Yet there is suffering to be had in order to get that message of salvation to other people. Paul said in another one of his letters, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That is, it is it's going to take suffering to get this message 
to other people. That's what Paul means here when he says he's in his flesh, that is in his body, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Here's what's going on here. We're, we're talking about the plan of God. What does it cost? It's this valuable. It's so valuable that someone would be willing to suffer to tell other people about it. It reminds me of the story that's told about King David. They were fighting a battle and some of David's bravest soldiers were around him and David said, I'm so thirsty. I would love for a drink that's in a certain place from a well in Jerusalem. And in the middle of that battle, some of his most loyal and bravest soldiers, they break through the enemy forces and they go get him a drink from that very well and they take it back to David. That took a lot of suffering. It took a lot of sacrifice. Now their suffering and their sacrifice couldn't quench David's thirst, but it took suffering to get that water to David. You know, in the same way, it takes suffering for people to get the gospel to other people. This is Paul's point here, and he's telling us this to elevate, to highlight the value of this plan. It's so valuable. How much does it cost? It's so valuable that someone would be willing to suffer to get the message to other people. There's a passage that I come to again and again in thinking about my own ministry as a pastor among you. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. But I want you to listen to this. This is Paul. He's writing and he's talking about how he commends his ministry. How he proves that his ministry, what he says about Jesus is genuine. He says, but as servants of God, I'll read this to you. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Did you get what Paul is saying here? He's saying, here's how I demonstrate that my message and my whole endeavor to get this message to other people, here's how I demonstrate it's genuine, it's reliable, it's really valuable. I don't demonstrate it because I have a great personality, Paul is saying. I don't commend my ministry primarily by my intellect, by my learning, by the great programs I could come up with. Paul is saying, here's how I show you that what I'm saying is real. I suffer for it. I'm willing to undergo beatings for it. I'm willing to be imprisoned for it. I'm willing to be shipwrecked for it. I'm willing for people to call me the scum of the earth and the off-scouring of society for it. That's how valuable this message is. Something that people are willing to suffer deeply for must be incredibly valuable. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I don't primarily commend my ministry by a flashy website, by a big building program, uh, by, by acts of rhetoric. Here's the primary way in which Paul says the ministry of Jesus Christ and the validity of the gospel is commended. It happens by suffering. Why suffering? Because suffering has the unique ability to show someone that must be valuable. Whatever someone's willing to suffer for must be incredibly valuable. Of course someone would want to follow Jesus if Jesus just makes them rich and popular and sophisticated and healthy and resourceful. But take away the wealth and replace it with poverty. Take away the sophistication and replace it with scorn. Take away the health and replace it with cancer. Take away the resourcefulness and replace it with sacrifice. Now still follow Jesus. And that leaves people saying, there must be something valuable about that. 
There must be something about Jesus and about the message, that, about what he's done, that, that's more valuable even than health and more valuable than having a nice home and then more valuable than having a great reputation and more valuable than anything else. Why? Because people are willing to give that all up for Jesus. That commends the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. That's why Paul is talking about his suffering. That's actually why he says, astonishing to us in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, I'm, I'm barely willing to put up with this because I think it's important. No, no. It's actually, he's actually saying, not only am I willing to suffer in this, but actually in the suffering, I can rejoice. Why? Because this plan of God to bring you to maturity is so valuable. He's willing to suffer for it. My friends, if it is true that God has a plan, and that plan is to make you what you ought to be, it's worth suffering for. It's worth suffering to get that message to other people. No, there, there's nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. I'm not talking about suffering so that you can have a right relationship with God. That is only by the grace of God. I'm talking about the kind of suffering to bring the message to other people because it's so valuable. I'm talking about the kind of suffering that demonstrates to other people how great Jesus is because you're willing to suffer for him. came across a story about a missionary named Chet Bitterman back in 1981. He was serving uh, with the Wycliffe Bible translators in Colombia. He'd been taken captive by a Colombian guerrilla group. And he and his, and his wife and two daughters were waiting in Bogota for his release. He was in captivity for seven weeks. And after seven weeks of captivity, instead of releasing him, the guerrilla group executed him, a single bullet to the chest. What do you think happened to the applications for the Wycliffe Bible translators after that? You would think they would drop off. But applications for overseas service with Wycliffe Bible translators doubled. And the trend continued. Why? Because Jesus is worth suffering for. Because there's something that is so incredibly valuable about getting this message to other people that people are willing to give their lives for it. That's why Paul is so concerned to explain the nature of his suffering, even to explain his attitude in suffering. He's, he's, saying, he's not saying, I'm barely willing to put up with this. He's saying, no, I recognize the value of what I'm suffering for. And so that's why I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Because yes, Jesus has died for your sins and that message is worth getting to you. Now, so Paul is highlighting the, the value of this plan. How much does it cost? It costs suffering. It's that valuable. And not only do we realize that the suffering of Paul and others makes, this, makes us understand that this plan is incredibly valuable, but we also learn that this is no novel thing. So if you look at verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. This is, he says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. All right, so the first point, the way we're dividing this passage is how much it costs. How much is it valuable? It's so valuable that people are worth suffering. Paul was, worth, was considered suffering to be worth bringing that message to other people, but secondly, when this plan was revealed. This plan existed in ages past, ages and generations. 
Now, I asked you a little earlier, are you suspicious of things that are advertised as free? Are you suspicious of companies that say, we've been around since 2017? Right. Now, I'm not going to take out an insurance policy on a company that says, since 2017. Right. That doesn't really help me gain confidence and trust in that company. Why? When it comes to things that we really need to trust, we want something that's been around for a long time. Now, in our culture, we're kind of in a trend to like to favor new things, like whatever is new seems to be good. That's primarily because technology is always changing, right? Uh, you, you want the newer model car, and no one's saying, oh man, if I could only have the, the first model of an iPhone, man, that would be really the best thing. No, we want the new things. But when it comes to things that we really need to trust, we want something that's been around for, for a long time. It's important for Paul to demonstrate, to explain to the people to whom he's writing, that the message that he's given them is not some innovation. It's not something that's just a blip on the screen, not something that's just recently come about. Now, actually, this message that he is explaining has been in existence for ages and for generations. And the question is, okay, now, why is it that just now it's being explained? Paul is saying this, yes, God had this plan for a long time. But it wasn't clearly understood until Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. That's why he says in verse 26, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul is saying it's been there all along. It's been there in the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. It's all anticipating. It's all foretelling. It's all predicting the coming of this promised Messiah. This anointed one who's going to be the fulfillment of God's promises. Who's going to bring us to salvation. Who's going to make right all the wrongs. Who one day will return and make a new heaven and a new earth. All this Old Testament is pointing to this, this one person. And yet what was not clear was how he was going to come. This would be a suffering savior. He'd be a king who would conquer death by dying and then rising from the dead. This plan was revealed, hidden for ages, but now revealed. And that's why Paul calls it a mystery. You, you see the word there, mystery there in verse uh, 26. It's a mystery in this sense. It's a mystery in the sense that it was, not, it was previously not understood, but now revealed. God has made it clear what this is all about by the coming of Jesus Christ. This was no hastily thrown together plan. It's not the most recent self-help, feel-good strategy that adorns our bookstores. No, this is God's ancient plan to bring you to maturity. But what could possibly bring this maturity about? Remember I said the whole question is, this is God's plan to make us mature. God's plan to bring us to what we truly, truly should be. What is this plan then? Yes, it's valuable. It's worth suffering for. Yes, it's ancient and now revealed. God had it in mind since eternity past. He's revealed it in the Old Testament. Now it's been clearly demonstrated here in the New Testament with the coming of Christ. But what is this plan? I mean, what plan could possibly bring you and me to the maturity that God intends for us? Whatever plan it is, it must be something that doesn't come from within ourselves because we can't save ourselves. It must be something that is powerful. This is why Paul goes on to explain in the plainest possible terms in verse 27. 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is it? What is this plan? What is this mystery that was hidden for ages past and now revealed to his saints? Which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. (laughs) That, my friends, is in plainest possible terms what this plan is. We need someone else outside of ourselves to be in us. We need a relationship with God. How is that going to happen? Only through Christ. I'll take each one of these words. Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, someone greater than you. You can no more save yourself than you can leap over Mount Washington. You can no more save yourself than you can drink the Pacific Ocean. Only Jesus can bear you over the mountain of God's law. And only Jesus can absorb the ocean of your iniquity and sins. Christ in you, coming inside you. Unless Christ is in you, he does you no good. A Christ that is outside of us does not help us. Only by coming inside of us can Christ save us. Just as a meal set before you can do you no good until you eat it. Just like a glass of water set before you can do you no good until you drink it. So Jesus set before you will do you no good unless you believe in him. Christ in you. Just as medicine will do your sickness no good unless you actually take it, so Christ will do you no good unless you actually believe in him. You have to have Jesus in you and Jesus gets in you by you believing in him. That's Christ in you. Now the hope We need something that could give us hope. That energizing confidence for life in this world. Christ in you, the hope. And then the final words of this, of glory. Of glory. Glory here is a description of the person that God intended you to be. The word glory here is the same as the glory that's used in Romans 8. And actually, I want you to turn there so that you have a clear idea of what's going on. If you can turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That phrase is so packed. But Romans 8 expands on the idea of glory. And those of you who are with us in our series through Romans 8 might remember that glory is the word that Paul uses to describe our ultimate state as believers in Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider, this is Romans chapter 8 verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So believers in Jesus Christ can expect a future glory that is going to be revealed to them. Now we want to know more about that glory, and to know more about it, we need to turn to verse uh, 29 of Romans 8. In Romans 8, look at verse 29. Paul writes this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. What Paul is saying is this. It's at the end, the goal, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, is something called glory. And that glory, he elsewhere describes, as being like Jesus Christ. 
So when Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's saying that Christ being in us now is the guarantee and hope that one day we will be perfectly like Jesus Christ, which is glory. Don't you know that your heart has such an infinite void in it that nothing but glory can, can fill it? Nothing but the glory of God. And the glory that we have is not glory that comes from ourselves. It's reflected glory. It's like the glory of the moon that is just bouncing off the beams of the sun. That's the glory that God promises for us. That is the goal of Christian maturity. That is what God intends for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's God's plan to bring you mat to maturity. It begins when Christ is in you. Christ, the hope of glory, the energizing confidence that although you live right now in this present life, subjected to all the difficulties that you experience, one day God's plan for you will be fulfilled and that plan is called glory. That's what God wants for you. That's Christian maturity. That's this message that is so valuable. It's worth suffering for to get to other people. It's so ancient. It's been around for ages and for generations. And it's been brilliantly revealed by the coming of Jesus Christ. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I looked at, you can go back to Colossians 1. I looked at what this plan cost, how valuable it is. It costs suffering. When this was revealed from ages past, it existed, it was hidden, but now is revealed to his saints what this plan is. It's a great, glorious plan described in terms of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this in plainest terms, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But forth, how this plan works. How this plan works. And we see this in verses 28 and 29. Now suppose you were told that some obscure yet rich relative died and you are suddenly the heir of a vast sum of money. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, if that were to happen to me, one of the first things I would want to know is, how do I get it? How do I access this, right? If we are told that we have, that there is a mystery, and it's described in terms of the riches of the glory, right? What we want to know is, how, how, how does this work? How, how do we get this? Here's where this begins. Paul says in verse 20, 28, Him we proclaim. Here, here, what he's saying is this. We proclaim Christ. This plan begins for each individual as they understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them. We proclaim Christ. That's what Paul is saying. We are preaching Christ to you and we're telling you who Jesus is and what he's done. That's where this plan begins. This plan begins for you as an individual as you for the first time embrace what Jesus has done for you personally. That's where it begins. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim that he is the son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the only human being because he's fully God and fully human. He's the only human being who never sinned. He lived a sinless life and he died a death on behalf of people who believe in him. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's done. That's what Paul is saying. We proclaim Christ. We're explaining to you who he is and what he's done. That's where this plan begins. You cannot 
gain access to the riches of this mystery until you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you and believe in him as your savior. But how does this plan continue? Well, it continues the same way it started. Paul says, him we proclaim, and he goes on, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So as Paul is saying, as he proclaims Jesus to other to people, when they believe in Jesus as their Savior, when they have this new life in Christ, so Christ is in them, as was true of the Colossians, as is true of many of you, there's still more work to be done. Not to gain your salvation, but to work out your salvation. What's this work to be done? Paul says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. In other words, this. There are some things we need to be deterred from and there are some things we need to be taught about. You know, when you drive along the road, you see signs, road signs. Some of them inform you and some of them warn you. If you ever see a red sign with, with white letters that says, wrong way, you better turn around as fast as you can because that can get you into real trouble. There's a sign of warning. Road signs tell us when to get off the road, when to exit, how far an exit is from us. These are signs of teaching, of informing. When it comes to our relationship with Christ, we need both warning and teaching. We need to be warned against things that can pull us away from Jesus. And we need to be further encouraged and instructed on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. What this goal, the goal of this is, is to present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. And here is the strength that it requires. This is what Paul is talking about in the final verse. For this I toil. For what? To explain to others the riches and the glory of this mystery. This plan that God has revealed. To explain to others how, what they have in Christ. Paul is saying, I'm toiling for this. But it doesn't require mere human energy. It takes divine energy. It takes God's energy. That's why he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This plan is Christ in you. It works by the proclamation, the teaching, the instructing, the warning of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it requires great work, both human and divine. Now, what does this mean for us? I want to ask you a couple of questions here. First of all, do you understand God's plan for you? Maybe you are new to us. Maybe you are visiting with us. And we are so glad you are. We hope that you continue. And I want to ask you this question. If you, if you are new to, the, to Christianity or something you're unfamiliar with, do you know that Jesus has died for your sins? Have you believed in him as your savior? That's the very first step. It's the very first step to understand that God loved the world so much he was willing to give his only son to die for you. The first step for you, my friend, is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But perhaps you're here and, and you know that Christ is in you and you want to grow in maturity. You want to become the person that God wants you to be. Whatever wrinkle of immaturity there is in your life, Christ can iron it out. Whatever issue you have, whatever problem you face, whatever struggle you experience, Christ can help you. I wonder if you struggle with anxiety. 
Is that a sign of immaturity? Yes, it is. Can Christ help you with your fears, your worry, your anxiety? Remember that Jesus is the one who calmed the storm. Remember that Jesus is the one who said to fierce and raging waves and winds, peace be still. He can speak calm and still into your heart right now. Christ can do that for you. Maybe you struggle with apathy. Maybe you come here week after week and and you struggle with actually your own love for the Lord and for others. What can possibly be calculated to stir more in your heart than what Jesus has done for you by dying on the cross for you? To show his love for you. God was moved by love and compassion to save you and to move you to love him in response. Perhaps you're discouraged. Yeah, there are a lot of things in our lives that could make us discouraged. But you have to remember that our strength is not in ourselves anyway, but it's in Christ. In our weakness, he proves his strength. And after all, if you're discouraged this morning, remember this, Jesus has faced your biggest fear and conquered it. He's conquered your sin and your death. Perhaps you struggle with sorrow. Sorrow, my friends, is real. And it is woven into the very fabric of our existence as human beings in a fallen world. You know what? Christ has the answer to that too. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He entered into your sorrows. He understands and sympathizes with you. And yet he offers you joy because of what he's done for you on the cross. You see, this is all part of God's plan to bring you to maturity. These are the riches of Christ. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has a plan to make you mature. And this is the plan. You can have such a close relationship with Christ that he can give you the energizing hope in your life right now for the future glory that God has planned for you.